Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. Today, our guest is my friend Dutch Swartz, Principal Security Specialist at Amazon Web Services. Now, Dutch is a vendor and has been a vendor the entire time I've known him, but hang on before you hit the stop button. He's a very sharp observer. He's constantly learning and researching, and he's done everything he can to understand our side of InfoSec. As an empathetic outsider, he brings a very unique perspective. So we're going to chat with him about his take on how we run our shops and how we build our security cultures. Dutch, thanks so much for coming on down to the ranch. I'm thrilled that we finally put this together. First, a brief word about our sponsor. Time is the enemy of cybersecurity. Time spent identifying devices that are missing endpoint agents with known vulnerabilities that are unmanaged, that need updates. Time spent identifying cloud instances that aren't being scanned, that are misconfigured. Time spent gathering asset data. Time is the enemy of cybersecurity, until Axonius. By connecting to existing data sources, customers get a comprehensive asset inventory, understand security gaps, and automatically validate and enforce security policies. Thank you, Axonius, for sponsoring this show. All right, so why don't you start by telling us a bit about your history with InfoSec and your current day job? Yeah, so, you know, like all good origin stories, right? Like I got into InfoSec accidentally, you know, like a lot of people, because there wasn't really a really defined path when you and I started this whole thing. So I was uh, an infantry officer in the Army. I transitioned from active duty to the reserves, and I was starting to interview and, frankly, you know, looking for management, leadership jobs, things like that. And I had a, a friend who was also transitioning, and she said, oh, you should go talk to this this VAR. And I'm like, the, a what? <laughs> a VAR, value-added reseller. I'm like, I mean, I know those are words in the English language. I have, I have no idea what you're talking about. And this is the mid-90s. She's like, oh, you're like, they're like a system integrator. Like, take different computer systems and they put them together. And I'm like, okay. I mean, like, I love technology and, you know, I'm kind of nerdy, but I'm like, I don't really have like a degree or technical training in that area. And she said, no, but you know what? You just have to learn really fast. And I, I actually interviewed with them, and I just think that you would be a really good fit. And the backstory was, I'm like, how did you get an interview? Her parents are both in the storage industry. So she was from Boulder, Colorado. So as you know, right, that was Storage Alley, right? Storage Tech, Exabyte, all those companies, Seagate, et cetera. And so that's kind of how she got, and she got a quick start. I think she went to Seagate, if I remember correctly. But she kind of passed on it. She's like, but I think you would be a great fit. And so, you know, I went in and interviewed, and it was, it was pretty relaxed. It was three founders. There was a couple of engineers and one finance person. That was it. We actually interviewed twice, and ultimately, it ended up being a great fit. And they kind of corroborated the same thing. The CEO said, you know, it moves so fast that right now we're at 100 meg, and pretty soon it's going to be a gig, and like you'll be an old-timer. And it was, I thought that was a really interesting comment and it was really true. So I kind of came in, you know, right when networking was still kind of a kludge and there wasn't really, you know, there were still token ring and, and fitty around and, but, you know, Ethernet, that whole space was just kind of coalescing. And so some of it was just really luck, you know I mean? Just timing. Right. And so I came in as a system regrader and because it was a small company, like you were the bill collector, you were the contract administrator, you were the project, I managed the projects. And so I had the fortune because I was a military officer, then I took over like our, our VA stuff, all of our department of defense because I had clearance. So I, I was able to get into some really big projects and kind of see that really from the ground up. So that's how I got into just IT. And then over the years, like many people as networking kind of you know became commoditized, 
I was just sort of looking at the next space, like what's going to be the really interesting thing to go do. And I had just messed around with security a little bit, you know, like some network access control projects and things like that. And I'm like, well, this is really kind of the burgeoning space. And so I actually consciously, that was one of probably the only times I really pivoted and consciously, you know, went, I really want to get into security. I want to understand this space. So I was able to get into a company and do DDoS mitigation, web application firewall. Some of that stuff, again, when it was really early where you'd say DDoS and people are like, no, no, I'm cool. My service provider is going to take care of that. I'm like, hmm, interesting. I don't think so. <laughs> Let's talk about that. So so that's kind of how I got in. And I've had the good fortune of, of being at a number of security companies since then. That's awesome. So ever-changing, ever-learning, self-teaching, and uh, and gigabit is the next thing I hear. <laughs> Absolutely. It's any day now. It's going to come out. It's going to be hot. <laughs> any day now. So flash forward, you're, you're at Amazon now. And walk me through a little bit about what you do today. My team is, we support kind of the largest, most complex customers. And it's only relevant because I get to see really cool stuff. Like they're really pushing the boundaries of what we're doing. So my job really on a day-to-day basis is, is tacked as a cloud security strategist. So what I do is I work with CISOs and their staffs. And depending on where they are, you know, in that cloud journey, I help take whatever the security practices were, if they were, you know, hybrid or on-prem, and then help them tune those, if you will, you know, to the cloud. So that's really what I do is kind of cloudify, if you will, their security policies and practices. Beautiful. So so let me ask you this then. You talk about dealing with the CISOs. How often in your role, especially with these large and complex customers, this gets really interesting for me. How often are you dealing directly with the CISO versus how often are you dealing with, say, the CISO's lieutenants, the, the, the maybe their senior directors or VPs, depending on the size of the company, you know, the, the folks that report to the CISO? How, how often do you deal with one versus the other? Yeah, I mean, so, so really at the high scale, so we would go like Fortune 50, let's say, right? I mean, that's probably a monthly conversation with, with the CISO directly, maybe bi-monthly. I mean, there's, it, it depends a little bit on their culture. Frankly, some CISOs are more hands-on kind of in the work streams, right? I mean, you know, just like anything, right? And then others are much more, you know, delegation style. So day-to-day basis would be, you know, what we would sort of just say as a CISO directs, right? So it could, it could be a VP, it could be an SVP could be deputy CISO, depending on the size of the organization. So those would be like daily conversations. And again, they would have often their directors, their managers in those meetings as well. So we might be swinging from, you know, director of AppSec from one conversation and then director of cloud security and then director of operations and, you know, that whole suite of direct reports. So so even if it's not the CISO, all those representatives have to be there to, to have that point of coalescence. It sounds like you're dealing with a lot of folks on the other side of the fence, it, you're, you're touching so many areas. I mean, let's, let's admit it, cloud is everywhere now, right? Cloud is all things for some shops. So that makes sense. That makes sense a lot. So how about the CISO's expectations, right? Like you're seeing enough of them directly, and, and if not, you're at least seeing their teams directly and more than one member of that team. So you're getting a good sense of where the CISO's at, even if the CISO's not in the room. How have their expectations changed over the years? What are you seeing? Yeah, I, I think their expectations have tracked commensurate with the change in the role, quite frankly, right? So if we go back, when people sort of get amped up about where are we with the CISO roles and are there different flavors and there's seven types, and and those are all valid. I'm totally fine with any of those models. It's just a way of describing where we are. I like to step back and say, look, so it's helpful to look at the arc of history, right? So the first CIOs were 1981, right? We know that date because it was a white paper and a book, right? And Steve Katz is generally accepted to be the first CISO, right? So now we're at 1994. Okay, so it's a 13-year gap between those two. And what I point to people is there's a white paper that was written in 1981, and it's a very nerdy title, but essentially it says, should a CIO be technical or should they be a people manager? And I will dust that thing off and say, hey, guys, we have been here before. 
Okay, this is not a new conversation, right? It's a normal thing that you go through. And then I sometimes will layer in my military experience. I had the benefit of being both enlisted and an officer. So I've been on both sides of that equation. And so to be an officer, especially as you move up you know, to senior roles, you, of course, you want to hold on to being you know, an expert sharpshooter. You, you do, right? I mean, because there's a, a pride you would expect that comes with that. But you have to start to let some of that go because you have people that do that. And I see CISOs not struggling, but I mean, sort of wrestling in a good way with that today, right? So many of the CISOs who are at, at large strategic companies today did come up through the ranks and they were probably just the person who, in the best way possible, raised their hand and said, I'll take care of the security stuff. 20 years ago, 15 years ago, right? Because there wasn't a real defined path. And the beauty of it, that is they're really grounded, right? Like they can jump on, but it's a temptation, right? So when something bad happens, the CISO needs to be communicating that to the board and to their peers. They do not need to be having root access, trying to troubleshoot things. And so I'm being a little bit facetious, but but I mean, that's the balancing. So I've seen more, if I scroll back to five years ago, six years ago, CISO conversations felt much more like IT manager type conversations. And I don't mean that like pejoratively, but I mean, it was very tactical, like show me this widget or this feature. I mean, it was, you know, it was really tactical, like about the workflow and how do I operate this and how will my team train and learn on it. And really in the last three years, and of course, accelerated greatly by COVID, CISOs have really taken on kind of a different uh, approach. And so it's not a, a right way or wrong way, but I think about, well, let's, what's our definition? Right. So the working definition that I use, and I, I borrow heavily, of course, from Gary Hayslip, as we all do. And I, by the way, I, I steal from you also. But I, I take Gary's Gary's definition and I just kind of tweak it a little bit. So the parts I love are CISO is a, first and foremost a business executive. And that's an important distinction. Your business executive first. And I had an aha moment when I was meeting with the CISO for a top three financial services company. And we were kind of finished with the formal business. And I said, hey, can I ask you? We were just kind of you know walking and talking and grabbing lunch. And I said, how much time do you spend at this stage of your career, really like dirty hands-on keyboard, you know, security stuff? And he said, I spend about 87% of my time in business level meetings with my peers and committees, right? And that was really good. And this is probably about three, three and a half years ago when I had this conversation. And I said, that's really helpful to me to understand, you know, kind of how you think about this. He's like, right, at this level, I have deputy CISOs, I have a GRC, you know, I mean, he had whole teams of people. And so this is sort of financial services and federal space are often kind of at the pointy end of the stick as it relates to maturity because they kind of have to be, right? And so that was really interesting to me to understand that that's really where they are. So if they're your business executive, first and foremost, you manage risk, right? I think it's critical that you establish the culture of security. I think that's implicitly, but I think we should make it more explicitly part of the CISO's role. And then you develop plans to mitigate. And then when it happens, you have a team that manages the risk. And then your job is to communicate that back to those business partners who already know you because you've built a rapport, you have trust, you understand, you know, you pick up the phone, you're like, hey, Sanjay, hey, Cindy, here's what's happening. My team will give me an update in 20 minutes. I will give you an update in 30 minutes. And so that's how I see that kind of, I don't want to say crisis management because I don't want it to sound grandiose, but it to me is, it feels a lot like being in an operations center for the military. I mean, and so we've moved to this where you have to be able comfortable that you've trained your people and you have to let them do the thing. Whatever the thing is, you have to step back and 
do those other things I mentioned, culture, training, coaching, leadership, all of those things. That's the core to me of the, let's just call it the CISO of the 2020s. Like that's, that's the core function. I love that. And that tension you're describing is real. And it's funny that, that <laughs> I, know. I didn't realize that Gary had uh, said the same thing, but I always say, what I always say is business terms first. And I'm talking about when you speak to people as the CISO, business terms first, risk terms second, technology terms third. And fundamentally, that's what you're describing. Business first, risk second, technology third. That's that's the strategy. That's the mindset that you have to have. But, you know, I'll tell you right now, my last CISO gig was at a $4.5 billion company that was, you know, what, 40,000, 50,000 employees. And now I'm in a 15-man show, right? And this is after, after progressively going to larger and larger and larger organizations, I'm suddenly jumping back into the startup world for the first time in, you know, 20 years I'm back in the startups. And I'm finding myself hands-on keyboard like I haven't been in forever. And part of it feels like a, a homecoming and part of it feels like I'm doing this wrong. I'm doing this wrong. I'm doing this wrong. But I'm in a 15-man startup. I'm going to be more hands-on keyboard this time no matter what I'm going to be. So I'm going to have to work through that tension and learn how to get there myself. But, I, but I'm fully in agreement with you. That's And it's interesting to me, the evolution of it. And that's so fascinating, that article from what you said, 81 for the CIO. 81. That's crazy because yeah. that's exactly the <laughs> right. conundrum we're still having. And, and I even, you know, when I'm talking to other CISOs, we have these conversations amongst ourselves where it's like, are you a technical CISO or a business CISO? And people ask this question, and sometimes that's a very pointed question from either camp. Sometimes the technical CISOs lose respect for the non-technical CISOs because they'll sometimes say, like, they, they don't necessarily use the term business CISO. They might use the term, like, soft skills CISO. Like, I'm a technical CISO. You're a soft skills CISO, right? And then other times you'll hear, I'm a business CISO. You're a technical CISO. And the reality is, I think you have to be all those things. You have to have enough technical street cred that your team still respect you and, and that they can't BS you, right? When, when the team says, it's going to take me eight weeks to configure this firewall, you should be able to go, yeah, no. You have to be that technical. You have to remain that technical. And I want that technical foundation in a CISO personally. I found the people that grew up technical to be more effective overall as a CISO than the people who grew up, say, on the GRC side of the fence. And I know I'm a huge fan of GRC. I've managed GRC. I love GRC. But I came to it consciously and secondarily after my technical background. And I believe it's valuable, but I don't want to see a CISO who grew up just DRC and missed the technical background because so much of the project is technical. So much of the operation is technical. And you got to be able to at least speak the same language and know when to call BS, even if you're not fingers on keyboards anymore, right? Yeah. And, and I can appreciate that. And I think that that's just, and I think there you're just going to continue to not even really have tension, but it's going to be that, that answer that all users hate to hear from us. And that's, it depends right? It's going to depend on the size of the organization. It depends on the maturity, right? So, I mean, size is only a proxy, right? You could be completely, let's just call it stage zero and, you know, more of a legacy traditional type company and still be large today. And that's that's a possibility. So, I mean, it does depend. It also, frankly, depends on what's your risk appetite and your risk tolerance, right? So, this is where we get to. So, from my perspective, you know, it's a question about who owns risk, Right. So for, again, for me, working with lots of CISOs and working with lots of executives, from my perspective, if you're a public company in America, the board of directors is responsible for oversight. They own risk. That's the case. Right. I mean, that's what the NACD director's handbook tells you. You own risk. Right. And, it, and we love cybersecurity risk the most because it's the risk that we that we that we think about. But it's just another form of risk. Right. So the board really in my estimation, sets risk, appetite, and tolerance, right? How much do I want to, do I intend to take? And then what's the variance against it? So I'm using, obviously, the fair definition here, the fair model. 
And then it's really the business leadership who on a day-to-day basis, they really own that risk because in the same way that a CEO and the business leaders own the risk of any major decision or any major activity, right? So the, the threat of business competition, the threat of a product not launching on time, the threat of new entrants to market, that's just a type of cyber is one of those. And so if we go back to the, my working definition of CISO, then you don't own the risk, you're responsible to manage the risk. And I know it sounds like a nuance, but the reason I bring it up is I sometimes worry about my friends who are CISOs who are really deeply owning that risk and, it, and, it, and that, that, that sort of angstiness, frankly, kind of trickles down to the team. And so if it's your job to inform, to apply qualitative judgment, like you do, you've talked about this in the past, right? I, I agree. It's really important. But at the end of the day, if the business leadership decides they're going to accept a risk, that's a decision that they can make. That's it. Go home, CISO, and go to bed. You can sleep tonight. Right, exactly. And then you have to be okay with, okay, I did my best to, you know, say, hey, this is, this is where the risk lies. Here's where I think the oppor- you know, the potential for that risk is. And ultimately, if they say, hey, no, I'm going to buy XYZ system because it's just that critical to our growth, then you have to go, okay, cool. So I'm going to now transfer that risk and let's let the board of directors know that that's the decision. You know, and so that's where I see that kind of crux between those two. I like that. And uh, I'll tell you right now, the whole reason I wanted you on the show in the first place is I know you're a vendor, right? And everybody's always like, oh, vendor. You are one of the most astute observers of the game that I know, quite frankly. Oh, I appreciate that. That's kind. And as a vendor, it's amazing to me your perspectives because sometimes when I hear you talk, I'm like, is he one of us? You get it. You get it as a vendor. And that to me is so rare. And so especially you, I want to hear from you. You mentioned the word culture before, security culture. You've seen a million different companies. You've got a good head on your shoulders. What is a healthy security culture and what is an unhealthy security culture? From your perspective, coming in and trying to help these people and it's like, hey, I got services that can help you. I've got security that you need that will hook you up and strengthen your game. And I'm walking into this company and this company, say, is an unhealthy security culture. What are the signs how do you pick up on that? And what does that mean? What are the implications for you coming in as the vendor? Yeah, so I, I think it's helpful to the business, right? To just pause and kind of just talk about culture, right? So George Finian, I know you know George, right? That the It is well aware book. I love that stat he found, right? So if you have a poor culture, you're three times more likely to have a breach. That's a really stark stat. I mean, it really shows you how important culture is. And, and I talk to people about, well, why is that? Well, because... If Alan doesn't click on official link, that's our expectation, right? He's the CISO. But if somebody who's working remotely on an old system does, that's where the risk really lies, right? So, so in terms of culture, I think, number one, you have to determine what is our culture because culture by definition is implied, right? It's implicit. You actually have to stop and think about that, as weird as that sounds, right? And when you have a 15-person company, it's probably pretty easy because it's really evident, right? Everybody feels that, right? But as a company grows, it gets it's a it's a real challenge for senior leadership and talent acquisition too, right? To keep that culture consistent. And the same. So the first thing is like anything, you got to measure it. And you can measure culture. Right. So there's a great case study in Harvard Business Review. It's from 2018. And it shows you some simple ways that you can measure your culture. And again, it's not a it's not overtly good or bad culture. It's it's just what is your culture? Right. Do you tend towards being independent or is it interdependence? Do you tend towards control or flexibility? Right. And you can start to plot out then eight different, you know, a bunch of different styles. They they come up with eight. And here's where it's important. The board of directors, if we're talking about enterprise, board of directors and the business leadership and the security team, it needs to be the same. That's where I see the big gaps is where somebody espouses a culture 
And I sort of somewhat tongue in cheek sometimes say, hey, it's not what's on your the back of your employee ID card or on a poster. It's what the person in the warehouse in Biloxi, Mississippi says it is. That's what your culture is. That's how it works because it's implied and it's pervasive. It just happens. So number one, you got to measure it, right? And so you can do that, right? You can do questions every day. My company does about your culture and about your security culture, right? And that signals to people that it's important. So when it's, I hate to say unhealthy, but when when it's a more challenging culture, it's that senior leadership is not aligned. They haven't explicitly decided what is our culture. And by the way, you can be aspirational. Say, hey, here's where we are today. And hey, Alan, me and you and, and our talent people, we're going to work on this. And this is where we want to be in two years, right? And you can you can make that a change, right? So you look at, there's a really good model by Dr. Pearlson from MIT. And she talks about values, attitudes, and beliefs. And it's a really good because it's inputs and outputs. So this is great for engineering-minded people, right? And those are the kind of the three levers that you can pull. So unhealthy culture is it's not aligned, which leads to miscommunication, which leads to blame. So that's what unhealthy looks like. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. I always I always make a joke about that. It's from a cheesy comic book movie, comic book-based movie, but it was the Mystery Men, but then arsenal of non-lethal devices, including a device called the Blame Thrower. And I always joke in those kinds of cultures, you can see it in the room when the meeting starts and it's like, oh, everybody's firing up their Blame Throwers. Here we go. Everyone's starting to go. And, I, and I've been there. I've been there and I know you've been there too. And so coming in as the vendor, coming in, You've got a solution. You, you know they're already a customer of your basic services, and now you're here to say, here's how we secure those services. And there's going to be an extra cost to secure. It's not free. There's going to be some extra work, some extra effort. Maybe you're going to have to staff up extra teams. Like there's a whole conversation around, I can help you, but you're going to have to rise up and help yourself to do it. In that unhealthy security culture, in that blame-throwing culture where things are disjointed, maybe the board says it's X, but the guy in the warehouse says it's Y, what is that like to navigate those waters as a vendor? So I start out the conversation in the same way that you and I would hope to if we went and started a company tomorrow. And that's, I start out with, what are your three key business initiatives for this year? And then if they lean towards, oh, but I really want to talk about fill in the blank thing. I go, cool, awesome. Really want to get to that too. What are your three key business initiatives? Because security has to move towards being an enabler. And I know that sounds flippant sometimes because it gets set up, but it is the truth. And here, I'll give you an example, right? When I spent, I spent a significant amount of time in the networking space and I was working on a large project with a large healthcare provider. And we got to the stage where think, you know, we were kind of moving quickly and, and they wanted to really make a significant upgrade. And I asked the advocate who, who happened to be the CIO, hey, okay, so, and how do we, what's the budging cycle? And and how do we, is there anything I can do to help help you guys get this aligned? And what, what do you need from us to help you with this project? And he said, if I let them just think of networking as stuff that's behind the walls, like plumbing and electricity, then it's a cost. So what I do is I go to the key departments that drive the revenue and say, okay, so I think I understand how you, this department works. And we spent some time together to do this up. I need you to build this into your project. And that's how you establish it. And, and so at the end of the day, security, it's still from a purely finance standpoint, it, it is a cost, but you change the dialogue, right? If you can help people understand that, hey, security is part of how we do business, then it, it takes a, that, that, that makes sense. I mean, it kind of takes that blame away. So it depends on the culture of the company. One thing that works sometimes if you have a DevOps culture or DevSecOps, and we can, you know, people won't argue about the term, but I'll just call it a DevOps culture for now. Then sometimes what's effective is I'll talk with them about quality. I said, if you can think about security as quality, 
well, then this is a different conversation, right? Everybody knows that quality is intrinsically part of what we do. And even if you have QA and tests, you, you still do, but nobody's not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to code terrible quality code. That's not a thing, right? I mean, nobody's overtly trying to do that, right? So I'm like, I think there's a, we're talking past each other. That thing happens too, right? Where security people are like, oh, I can't believe the devs did this. I'm like, right, but again, they're not doing, they're not doing it to you, okay? Like you need to go train them. You need, it starts with what? Aligned to the business, right? So you can, if you can come back. And, so I start with that. Hey, what are the three big initiatives that you guys are focused on this year? And if they don't know that, then I will, then frankly, I'll do my best to try to coach them. Not as a, the vendor, quite frankly, but as somebody who thinks, of, you know, who studies this and say, okay, there's five basic business initiatives. You might have a different term, but it's these five. And then often, you know, somebody who's very, very, oh, that one. They might come to me, I'll use an example prior to this company. They might've come to me and said, hey, we really need to work on the way that we need some scripting for our firewalls. Okay, cool, why? Well, no, but we just need that. No, I, cool, I mean, we'll help you. I, I get, we'll get ProServe in here or, or a third party. We'll, we'll help you that, but why do you need that? And you just keep pulling on that thread until finally I said, okay, we were at RSA or Blackhead. I took out a, a bar napkin and said, okay, of these five things, do any of these sound, oh, that one, that's what my boss cares about. And it was, by the way, speed to market. I said, okay, now we're talking about something that the business understands, okay? I said, because we can't go to the business and say, you need to do this project for scripting for firewall rules. That doesn't make, that, that doesn't make any sense. You need to say, hey, speed to market's a critical initiative for us this year. And there's some things that technically could slow us down. And we don't want to do that. So here's how I'm going to train my people, you know, and then you can talk through the things kind of to your point, right? But you, you have to start with the business. So I find myself, I'll pull up on the collector stick and try to keep us, you know, get us up to the point where we can align to the business because that's my responsibility. I happen to work at a vendor, but that's secondary. My responsibility is how do we help make security better? That's what I'm trying to do because no vendor, no matter how big, no matter how any, it doesn't matter. We, nobody does all of the things. Right. So it's my job to help you go, okay, cool. I know we can probably do some of these things, but we need to start up here. What are the big things? Beautiful. That's beautiful. I, I have this idea in my mind that I always carry in my back pocket that to be a CISO and to communicate effectively anything, it might be an ask. It might be a, hey, I need budget, or it might be budget season and you're asking for a regular budget. It might be, oh my God, I need out of band budget. It might be, I believe we need to change the way we do something over here because it's insecure. Whatever you're doing as a CISO, you've got these security intentions, these security awareness, you know, moments, you've got this security vision and you're talking to the business. And in my mind, you have to be able to, at any given time, articulate ideally on all three axes. And the three axes are, number one, business objectives. Is what I'm saying meeting a business objective? What you're calling initiative, I'm calling objective. Am I meeting an objective by doing whatever the heck it is I'm proposing? And if so, which one is it? And can I point to it or, or parts of three of them or whatever it might be? Can I point to the business, business objectives? The second one is known risks, measured risks. Am I reducing them? So business first, risk second. And then third in this model is not technology. Third in this model is maturity. I know for a fact we've measured ourselves CMMI, whatever you want to do, and we're currently a 1.8, and by gum, we said this year we're going to be a 2.5. Is what I'm doing getting me closer to the 2.5? So those are the three questions. Am I aligned with business objectives? Am I reducing known risk? And am I improving maturity? And if you can assess every move you make as a CISO against those three, then articulating it to the business is a no-brainer. Everyone in the business will get those three. 
and you will win as a CISO. But the trick is to have that in your back pocket at all times for everything you're thinking about. And that's the hard part, right? Yeah, absolutely. It, and it takes the, the, the walking around time, right? I mean, you have to then have, you, you need to understand the business of the business, right? You need to have rapport with your peers, the CMO, the CFO, chief counsel, all, you know, you, need, you really need to spend the times, right? You know, with your peers and the business line leaders, right? Whatever that revenue generation is coming from, you know, we sort of flippantly say, oh, we have to protect the crowd jewels, right? And I find that the I get it. It's the phrase is okay, but it kind of glosses over what you're really trying to do there, right? And so you, I agree with you. I mean, you have to if you can start with the business, then the other things will align themselves. But you have to start with the business, right? You can't start. And again, it, it's understandable. It's why we over rely on certifications, right? It's why we fixate on tactical things because they're, they're there's so many they're tangible, right? It's really easy to say, do you have X Y Z certification? Or show me how you would do this in Python. Those are fine, by the way. I'm not saying you should do those, but there are higher level, I'll call them higher level competencies that are harder to probe for, but are way more important, right? So if we we believe in Daniel Goleman's research, EQ is two times more important than technical skills. Full agreement. It becomes more important the higher that you climb the ladder. At at some point in a big enough organization, a CISO is an SVP. And a CISO is no longer hands-on keyboard and has not been for quite some time. And that's right. That's not just okay. That's correct. That's how it should be. So listen, Dutch Swartz, this has been an amazing conversation. We're getting to the very end of the show here. And I'm going to ask you the one last question I ask every guest, which is, what keeps you going in information security? What keeps me going is these conversations. So it is so cool to see everybody has like a different trajectory where we started, but I think the commonality is, generally speaking, everybody loves to solve problems, right? We don't like the status quo, and we like to be learning constantly, right? And I know none of those are technical, like, you know, specific things, but but that's what keeps me going, right? I mean, this, I worked, I've worked at five Fortune 500 companies, and in some of those cases, there are people who've been there 20, 30 years, and I, I'm not suggesting there's anything wrong with that, but they were in the same role doing the same thing. And for me, that's not my jam. You know, like, like, so I love when things change and new and, and, uh, you know, all the transformation that happens. That's because it keeps it interesting and exciting to me. So that's what gets me up and keeps me going. I love it. I love it, man. So Dutch Swartz, principal security specialist at Amazon Web Services. Thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now. <laughs>